Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. And like I said, we're going to back up a little bit. Let's get back to plague number seven. The plague of locusts is going to correspond to the ground infantry. Up to this point, it's not been so much face-to-face. It's basically, Adonai reaches out and touches you, but it, it can be from a distance, like with the arrows, for instance, or even with the bombardment, with the artillery, the artillery person, or even the aircraft dropping heavy ordnance, they don't necessarily see your face. They just launch the weapon. They just aim and shoot, but they're not up in your face. With this eighth plague, you definitely will be confronted face to face because this is the plague of locusts. And if you'll remember in the book of Revelation, the description of the hell bugs is that they had faces like the faces of men. Now they had hair like women, but um, even that is described in the Song of Moses this week, because the Song of Moses is the one of the answer keys to Revelation. And it talks about the long-haired enemy that will attack Israel if they refuse to obey him, if they if they stray away. So we see those long-haired enemies in the book of Revelation. Again, we've got these locusts like creatures. They've got the faces of men, even though their hair has the appearance of a woman's hair. But this is face to face. You will see the face of this. And it may be that these tormentors of locusts, because they do have the faces of men, we might perceive them to be people rather than a supernatural bug. We may not, it may not be like in a a horror movie where these horrible things come, you know, flying at you. <laughs> All I ever think about is that advertisement for Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds and the lady screaming and all these black birds going after her. It may not be like that because of the appearance of the bug. It's going to have a human appearance, even though the, the weapons, uh, the equipment is definitely from the supernatural realm. And so this huge plague of locusts is equated with the wars of kings with a large, overwhelming infantry attack. And to this day, there are plagues of locusts. Recently, the, the orphanage we sponsor in Kenya, we got a report back that, that the locusts had attacked certain crops. This happened in Israel a few years back. It still happens in certain places where all these locusts will hatch out and they will simply just come like a, a black cloud, settle onto a field and strip it. So to what would we compare this? I think it's to be overwhelmed both spiritually and economically by a flood of wickedness and confusion. I remember at this point, it's, it's not intended to punish the remnant. It's not intended to punish the righteous. This is dealing with Pharaoh's heart his servants, his people, and their gods. He's exposing all of these things. 
And you say, well, sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Does that mean I'm not part of the remnant? No, I don't think it means that. I don't think that, I mean, number one, I think everybody feels overwhelmed, especially right now. Life was a lot simpler two generations ago. Basically, when I think of my grandfather, when he was a little boy, all he really needed to know was how to hitch up a horse and plow straight. (laughs) What did grandma need to know? She needed to know how to garden and can and sew and cook. Life didn't change a whole lot for a long time in terms of the technology you needed to acquire on a daily basis, just to function, just to answer your phone, uh, just to send a piece of mail. You know, it's sometimes I'll say snail mail and people don't even know what that is anymore. (laughs) Like, I don't know what snail mail is. (laughs) What are stamps for? But every day we can be overwhelmed by the reality of the time. Don't confuse that with saying, oh, I must be deficient. The locusts are after me. Don't let the overwhelm be for you the the proof that you can't stand in a day of trouble. Everybody feels overwhelmed. Remember, even Elijah, Eliyahu, he says, well, I'm basically I'm the only one, you know, poor pitiful me. And Adonai's like, there's 7,000 others just like you, but feeling so pitiful and sorry for yourself. And when we feel overwhelmed, you know, it, sometimes it helps to have a hug or a pat on the back. And sometimes we just need to get up and quit feeling sorry for ourselves. Everybody's overwhelmed. We're talking about something that's from a, from a dark realm. Often we're blaming the enemy for overwhelming us when we did it to ourselves, when we refuse to turn off the electronics and discipline ourselves, when we don't spend as much time in the word when we don't spend as much time in prayer, when we let people encroach upon our time and we don't prioritize that. Sometimes we have to tell people no. Uh, Sometimes people do have to learn to solve their own problems. So often it's just very poor time management. Sometimes it's a phase of life. I remember, you know, being 20 years old and Alan and I were both working full-time and we were both going to school full-time and we had rent. And we had a car payment and those things didn't stop just because we decided to go to college. And so we had to pay our way. We had to get through college. And for, you know, at least four years, they're actually more like six because I went and got my master's. But there was a period of my life right then where life was overwhelming. There might only be $5 left in the checking account at the end of the month. And you still had to do your homework when you got in from work. <laughs> the homework didn't stop just because you worked 40 hours a week. And so was that a period of overwhelm? Sure, but we all go through that. We all have periods of our life where life feels very overwhelming, but it was an investment. It's absolutely an investment because now, you know, at, we're we're toward the end, we're closer to our death day than our birthday now. But we're glad we invested that time up front because it has made the rest of our lives a little bit easier overall. Not that the, you know, it's that easy working in law enforcement, but there were just a lot of challenges that we were equipped to meet because, yeah, we let ourselves invest everything in the work and the education. So don't be upset. If you're in one of those predictable phases of overwhelm, if you're in college, if you're having to juggle a couple of jobs to make ends meet, but you can see some light at the end of the tunnel, that's what I'm talking about. 
But a lot of times we just set ourselves up for overwhelm because we don't make good choices. And we can't blame that on Satan. Not really his fault. (laughs) When we do, it wasn't Satan's fault. We decided to go to school and work at the same time. Just not his fault. We can blame a lot of stuff on the adversary. Just can't blame that on him. So we, we need to be honest, even about the adversary. Like, don't just blame him. Say, I might have to take responsibility. If I'm doing too much, might have to cut back on some college hours. I might have to cut back on some work hours. Maybe I'm volunteering for overtime that, you know what, we wouldn't live as well, but we live if I didn't work that overtime or if I only took one overtime shift a week, downsize the the house, downsize the car as time goes on. There's any number of things we can do to manage overwhelm. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that's flying out of a dark realm, death, and these creatures will eat up everything you do. Because what does a locust do? It, as a swarm, it finds a field. And remember, this is going to be very similar to the plague of wild beasts. They were swarms. That's how they were described. The locusts move in swarms too. That's why I say there's plague overlap. And a locust is a beast, technically. So what do the locusts do? They come in a swarm. And they just overwhelm the field. And their only point in life is to eat and reproduce. That's all they're interested in, eating and reproducing their way through their lives. They're very short lives. (laughs) What can we say about a locust if we were to compare it and say, well, it's possible that this plague of locusts having the appearance of a human being, that this would describe a swarm of human beings, human beings kind of on the same page targeting the same field, targeting the same areas at one time. What could we notice about them? Well, number one, they'll destroy anything they touch. They will absolutely destroy anything they touch. What are they doing? They're eating the food, the good things that should be for the next generation. And so they'll make food scarce, but they breed indiscriminately. They breed indiscriminately. So as we're looking at What can we see in the physical realm that might teach us a little bit about what these hell bugs will be like if they're not already out? They may already be out there swarming around. I I tend to think they are sometimes. And then other times I think, well, I think it could get way worse than this. It's as bad as it is. I think it could probably get worse. Swarms of people who disregard sexual purity, who breed indiscriminately, and they also eat everything up. They destroy the the planting of that generation. And it goes back to remember cutting off the root and the fruit. This is what the hell bug does. It shoots the venom to confuse you, to blind you, to make you anxious. And then the second thing it does is it cuts off the root and the fruit. It just, it destroys the ability to reproduce. So while they're busy and the numbers in Revelation, I don't know if you've read the numbers, like millions of these bugs are coming out. So they do go in swarms. Now, did they somehow disperse over the earth or do they just like go from one field to the next? Don't really know. But it is a little disturbing when you look at our own headlines, how you can get swarms, how you can get a large number of people on the same page. And what do they try to do? They just eat their way through a topic. You know, they might call it um, in some cases, and it's cancel culture. They'll just focus on one field, focus on one target and destroy it. And they can absolutely destroy not just a person's reputation, but their ability to make an income, to make a living, 
because they've so destroyed that person's reputation, nobody wants to have anything to do with them. They they have no ethics, just like a, a locust. There is no ethic to a locust. They just eat it and reproduce. Can this be restored? We know that these bugs have been used in the past. And who were they used against? Well, that was in our Haftor readings today too. I, I just, I don't know if this is coincidence or just, you know, a divine coincidence, which would make it not really a coincidence, would it? But in Joel 2.25, he says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. So apparently these bugs have been unleashed in the past, not just during the time of Moses against the Canaanite kings, not just during the time of Joshua against the Canaanite kings, but apparently there has been a place in history, Israelite history, where Adonai himself unleashed this great supernatural army against Israel because they did not give ear. That's what the Torah portion it says. It's knew, give ear, listen to me. I want to bless you, but you're going to have to obey my word. You can't stay in his land and not obey his word. If you try, the same thing can happen to you that happened to the Canaanite kings. He will send the locusts. And what happened to the Israelites historically? Because they were willing to worship idols, they were willing to worship other gods, just like we see in this plague on Egypt, where, like we said, Pharaoh could have been taken off the game board before the plague started. It wasn't about just Pharaoh. It was about destroying their faith in idols and exposing their idols for what they were. Well, even with this foundation, the Israelites, for much of their history in the land, disregarded disregarded their own creator, and they worshiped idols. And he says, okay, I'll have to treat you like a Canaanite king that's worshiping idols. I will have to send things that will consume you. And what do we know about idolatry? It is characterized by sexual immorality. That's just one of the things that goes with it. You say, well, where is modern idolatry? Do you really have to ask? Where do you see sexual immorality? Where do you see it? There it is. There's the idolatry of this generation. And so we have a generation that, to a large extent, is disregarding the the biblical principles of sexual purity, of morality. And what is it doing? It is destroying the foundations of the next generation. It's making food scarce. What has been the result? Even places where the word is being preached, it's so watered and dumbed down, people don't even know what sin is anymore. They don't even know it's wrong to shack up. They don't know it's wrong to engage in sexual activity before marriage or outside of marriage. You know, the the new rule of the day is two consenting adults. Well, even see how that has been broken down. See how that's been gnawed at by the locust. This is what they do. They disregard sexual morality. 
And in the, the process, they destroy the foundations of the next generation. This generation didn't just dream this up. They inherited this from the previous generation. After World War II, not that morals have always been great, but at least in the United States, we can say that, that sexual morality began to absolutely degenerate. And see, that's not a random word. Degenerate. Degenerate. What happens when you are a degenerate? When you degenerate, you destroy the values of the next generation. And what does it do? It makes food scarce. Why? Well, because if they were to hear the word, they would be convicted of the word. And therefore, the, the dumbing down of the word, you know what? They might keep coming if we just kind of wink and look the other way while they carry on their sexual immorality. It's hard to find good food. It's hard to find a field of good wheat. It's hard to find that pure undiluted word that says, thou shalt and thou shalt not. You, you do or you don't. In, in scripture, there's not really a gray area there. Can that be fixed? According to Yoel 2.25, the answer is yes. Even though a great army has been dispatched that has exposed the, the lack of faithfulness, even among the people of Adonai, people called by his name. He says, I can restore that to you. And think of what that means. That is such an absolute miracle right there. Because you're, you're probably smacking your head and you're worried maybe about kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, maybe parents in this generation, not unusual, who we know have acted as degenerates sexually. That they've been part of this destroying of the family, destroying the root and the fruit. And so no wonder people are overwhelmed. They don't have even the foundations of a solid family to fall back on. And you say, what can be done? Families are destroyed. Families are, are just scattered all over the place. What can be done? Well, I think, again, if, if we will repent and return and begin to pray, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. That tells me that it may not come until the millennium, but think of how many opportunities the swarming locust has eaten in people's lives. The potential that was never realized, the good deeds that were never done because the locust destroyed it. It cut off the root and the fruit. It cut off, like, like he said in the Torah portion, you're going to serve God's your fathers didn't serve. This is going to be a, a new thing in the generation. It's, it's not going to be something that you inherited from your fathers. It's going to be so outlandish, it never entered their minds to do it. You, it's going to be that crazy, that destructive. But in the millennium, when he restores his people, I believe that through repentance, 
there, there will be an opportunity that if there were things in your heart to do, if, if you wanted to be a great Torah scholar, but life got in the way, I think for you, I think he restores that. Does he restore it to those being punished? I don't know. I wouldn't sign my name to that for sure. But what about those who were affected by the work of this locust army? What if life got in the way and, and you couldn't serve Adonai completely in the way you wanted to, but you put you invested something in there, you planted the field. It's not like there's nothing in the field. You planted the field, but a lot of things just never had a chance to grow. A lot of things just, it looked like the enemy ate it up and you'll never see it again. And, and what does he eat? Your investment of time. But if it was in your heart, you said, oh, oh, I want to. But you read your Bible every day. Maybe you didn't learn Hebrew. You know what? Learn Aleph, Beit, Gimel. Learn ABC. You can finish what you start in the millennium. That's what it's for. But maybe you had a disabled child that took a lot of work and you didn't get to devote that time to study. Maybe there were disasters in your life that just wiped everything off and you had to keep starting over. Maybe it was those bad decisions, but you repented. But you look back and you say, look what the locust took. I'll never get that time back. I will never have the fruit of my labor that could have been. And the Father in heaven says, au contraire, here's what I can do. He says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. So I believe that's exactly what the millennium is for, that you will be restored the things that you thought could never be. He can restore things you never did. Now, if that's not supernatural, if that's not miraculous, think of all the things that you feel like you're going to leave undone for the kingdom, but you wanted to do them. You did what you could. I gave to the poor. I, I served in this area. I served in that. I raised up my kids. I spent my time on my kids. I did what I could. I tried to salvage my grandkids. Whatever it is that you have done, and you're like, yeah, but I, I, I never got to do this thing, and I never got to finish this thing. Don't worry about that. You'll have a thousand years to enjoy something, the reward of something you never got to do. Because he's going to give you that time to finish it up. That's what the millennium does. It completes it. It's the seventh millennium. What does it mean? Completion. And so look forward to that. You, don't be overwhelmed. Do not be overwhelmed. Don't be overwhelmed spiritually and don't be overwhelmed economically. We're in the middle of a flood. There's definitely some hell bugs out there. And 
the point of the hell bugs is to bring many to repentance. But it's also to expose those who will never repent. It has to do that at the exact same time. But you be faithful in a few things. And if you'll be faithful in the few things that you can manage, that are within your power, maybe it is raising that disabled child. You you throw everything you have into that and providing safety, love, security to that disabled child. And in the millennium, whatever was in your heart to do, that you feel like time made it away, it's still going to be there for you to do, which is, I think, the most fantastic promise, maybe, of all time, (laughs) other than, you know, being resurrected from the dead. This has got to be somewhere up in the top five. I can be restored things I never did. Wow. So let's let's take a look here at Revelation 9-3 that describes these bugs. It says that out of the smoke, locusts came up on the earth. And remember, that's what a locust does. This is an attack, a siege tactic that puts you face to face with the enemy. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were command, and one of the things to know about a scorpion is there's a few that are, um, could the bite could be fatal, but it, they tend to get better press than they deserve. The What a scorpion will do when it bites you most often is just cause incredible pain, not death. Like I say, there's a few out there. There's a there's a golden viper that's pretty bad. Uh, not viper, a golden scorpion that's pretty bad. Uh, but for the most part, the job of the scorpion is to torment and cause pain. And so these hell bugs, their preliminary power will be to torment and inflict pain. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And that's exactly what Revelation here bears out about the power of the scorpion. It's a tormenting power for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. And so that's the thing to remember. It's going to hurt so bad. You're going to be so tormented, you want to die. But during this five-month window, you'll be so confused. Because remember, this is one thing that they do. Uh, Two steps. They shoot their poison, and it makes you blind. It it puts you into a state of confusion and therefore anxiety and torment. So this is describing a five-month period of intense anxiety and torment. And it says like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. You're not likely to die, but you are likely to wish you were dead. And it says 
just that. They'll seek death, but they won't find it. They'll want to die, but death will flee from them. And that, again, it tells you that it's supernatural because, you know, we're not encouraging anything like this. But in my experience, when someone really wants to die, they find a way. It's not that hard to die if you want to. And they're going to be so confused, they're not even going to be able to do that. Just like the supernatural blindness of Sodom, when they were trying to find the door to Lot's house to get to the angels, and all night long, they went round and round the house, they couldn't find the door. No matter how you know weird the house is, it's not going to take you more than five minutes to find a door if you're blind as a bat. It was supernatural blindness. They were confused. They were confused all night. Supernatural confusion. And and so now it describes these locusts. It says the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. So I say, as these things attack, it may not be that we see them exactly like this with natural eyes. It may be that they, they, this attack comes through human beings, that these creatures are working through human beings. They had hair like women's hair. Well, there we go. That explains a whole lot of what's been going on lately. <laughs> Faces of men, hair like women's hair. Keep seeing that in the news, don't we? Uh, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. You don't worry. If YouTube pulls this off, we'll upload it to Odyssey. Uh, teeth like lion's teeth. Again, that, that takes us back to uh, Babylon. Uh, the symbol of Babylon was the lion. And so there, there may be some aspect of these teeth that we can identify as lion-like or Babylonian-like. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Iron is associated with Rome, the Roman kingdom. It was the Iron Kingdom. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots and with many horses running to battle. Um, they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. All right, so these creatures report to a king. And just like we say, there's principalities and powers uh, that have been appointed to do certain things. So this king might be the angel of the bottomless pit, but he still has to do what the Holy One tells him. He's, he's not an independent entity. He has a job to do. So he rules over death. Well, somebody has to do it, right? <laughs> I'm not volunteering. Don't put me on that sign-up sheet. But he was created specifically to rule over the bottomless pit and to keep these creatures in line. And I can't even imagine 
what that would look like, but we're being given a glimpse into the realm of the supernatural. We're being given a glimpse into the spirit realm with the best words that John has at his disposal. So when you're trying to describe something in spiritual realms, often, you know, the the words and descriptions we have from the, the physical natural realm fall short. And clearly, I wouldn't say John is struggling at this point, but I would say he's He's probably having a time trying to describe to us something that comes out of the pit of hell, but it has a very um, specific function. And the parts of this creature have very specific functions. But it, it really, it boils down to just the two things that we learned in the Torah about the tzila, about the hell bug. It blinds you, it causes confusion and anxiety and torment, and then it cuts off the root and the fruit. So what's going to happen? They they will torment for five months. They will be in your face like never before for five months. And during this five months that they are in your face, it will be an extremely anxious, tormented period. And so this is not something that we can really compare to just a, a normal feeling of being overwhelmed by everyday life. We all feel overwhelmed by everyday life. Do we feel it ratcheting up? We do. Don't take that as a sign that somehow you failed and the hell bugs are after you. The hell bugs are after Egyptians, not you. Hell bugs are after Egyptians, the servants of Pharaoh. How did Pharaoh go after the Israelites? with chariots and horses. What is the sound of the wings? The sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. It sounds as though what Pharaoh ran into was this, because as there are chariot wheels in the natural realm, there is also chariot wheels above um, that are part of the four living creatures, part of the, the Ruach Adonai, the spirit of Adonai, But see, these creatures are doing what they're doing at the command of the Holy One. And so, strangely, something from the realm of death is being obedient to heaven, which is more than a lot of people are. This is wild. You think of creatures from hell who are more obedient (laughs) and more diligent in their jobs than those who claim to serve the Holy One. Now, What if you're like Israel? What if you have fallen into immorality? I think these things could come after you. I don't think it would be a sense of like, I feel it going on in the world. I think you would know this thing was after you and you would know you were being called to repent or else. Does that mean you're losing your salvation? Not saying that. I'm saying it could be extremely uncomfortable and it it could be a matter of instead of being resurrected at the first resurrection, you might have to wait until after the millennium and be resurrected at the second resurrection and stand in a much more difficult place when those thrones are set up for judgment. I don't know. Hard to put those things together, but definitely we can tell from the template that Pharaoh and his gods and anyone who served those gods was being targeted. Now, what if there were Israelites still serving those gods at this point? I think the hell bugs go after them because they know better and they won't repent. They won't repent. They won't repent. So they never really belonged to Adonai in the first place. But these chariot wheels, if you read the, the part where Pharaoh and his army 
they they drive their chariots into the Reed Sea. The wording there in Hebrew is is interesting to study because basically it says his chariot wheel came off. Like his chariot wheel came off. Like this wheel represented something very important. What had they done? I think it's possible they encountered this right here. They're going after it with going after the Israelites with natural chariots. And what they run into is the chariots of hell. And what they realize is it says their chariot wheels became confused. The Egyptians' chariot wheels became confused. Why would they be confused? If you meet this bug right here, you're going to get confused. Yeah, you'll definitely go in circles. You won't know what's going on. You'll get bogged down. And so if you look at the behavior of Pharaoh's chariots in the Reed Sea, the wheel coming off, like his authority wheel coming off because it can't compete with Ezekiel's wheel. What Ezekiel saw with the power of the the living creatures, the spirit of Adonai, but also the confusion of their wheels. There was only one way forward, really, or backward, and they couldn't figure it out. They became confused. I think this is what they meant. They had a lot of chariots, but they didn't have chariots like this. Important to remember. Right. So, that takes us to the plague of darkness, which is going to be very similar. In fact, you can see overlap here because with the the plague of darkness, which is the ninth plague, it's equated to a prison. You completely seal off an entire city or you could at this point take captives. You might have actually taken the walls down And now you begin to imprison the inhabitants. The rabbis, as they're reading this about this ninth plague, they believe that this represents not just a a period of darkness. This darkness is described as something a little bit different. It's so dark, it's tangible. You can feel it. Uh A darkness you can feel. What does that equate to? They say it's the deepest pit of depression went with this three days of darkness. It was like being put in a prison of emotion. And they point out that when somebody is in the the depths of clinical depression, they can't hear anything. Does that mean they can't hear a sound? No. It means you can't exercise logic and reason with them. They're held in a prison. Addictions are very much like this. You can try logic and reason with somebody, say, who's addicted to heroin. They're not going to listen to the logic and the reason. They're already imprisoned in that darkness. They're going to be in a state of confusion. They're going to be in a state of depression. They're going to be feeling very isolated. They don't want the human connections at that point. They really are sealed up and they cannot hear you. They cannot hear. I mean, you could say, I love you. That's not going to penetrate in many cases. So the entire city, this, this might affect everyone, right? But remember, by this point, the judgment is not on Israel or those who have repented, those who have identified themselves with the God of Jacob. This is for Egyptian servants, Egyptian people, Pharaoh, who were still refusing to give up their idolatry. And so they were sealed off. Even though the Israelites had light in all their dwellings, the Egyptians went into a state of deepest depression where they just simply could not see anyone else or anything else. It was a type of solitary confinement. And remember, that is the job of the hell book. It blinds 
anxiety, confusion, depression, torment. So much of this that, you know, traditionally we look at these plagues as plagues on the the physical body. And yes, that's true. But look how concentrated it is on the workings of the mind, a bunch. And there's some wording. I I don't want to go into it right now. Um, We've gone through it in class when we, we did a more detailed word by word look at the plague of darkness. But as you're reading in Hebrew, it looks as though it's describing to you actually two sessions of three days of darkness. And part of that was thought to be the Israelites who at this point had not repented were taken out, but the they were done and it was done in such a way that the Egyptians could not see what happened. But they Rashi says up to 80% of the Israelites disappeared in the darkness because their hearts were stubborn. I don't know. We can't verify that. But what can we say? It, it does very much look like the, the hell bug is bringing its particular assignment to a close because the next plague is going to be the plague of the firstborn. And that's the final step of the hell bug. Remember, first, anxiety, confusion, blindness, torment. Second step, cut off the root and the fruit. You cut off the next generation. And that's what's going to follow the plague of darkness. So that's, yes, disturbing, uh, especially when we see such a high rate of mental illness, such a high rate of mental illness. Again, does that mean that somebody with mental illness is a sinner, an unrepented sinner? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It means that, for sure, it means that we are human beings and we haven't been resurrected yet. And our bodies are still subject to natural diseases. One of the promises was, if, if you will obey me, I won't put the diseases of the Egyptians upon you. One way of looking at the diseases of the Egyptian is that it's death. Remember back when it says that the king over these hellbugs was over Abaddon in Hebrew? Well, there's a place where Pharaoh's advisors go to him and they say, Pharaoh, why do you keep holding on to these people? Don't you know that Egypt is destroyed? Don't you know that Egypt is lost? That Hebrew word is avad. Same Hebrew word, abadon, avad. Avadon simply tells us that it's become a permanent state of lostness, lostness. Pharaoh, don't you know that Egypt is lost? In Revelation, it morphs into Avadon, permanently lost. And so Egypt, in that sense, represents a world that is still subject to the realm of death. Remember the pale horse death in Hades. So it doesn't mean if you get sick that you're going to hell. It means that you live in a fallen world where death still has control of the human body, ultimately. Unless Adonai intervenes and heals us, then basically we have to wait for the resurrection. And we are healed. We are fully healed at the resurrection, spirit, soul, and body. So just because you have a disease doesn't mean you sinned. It doesn't mean you're unrepentant. It doesn't mean God hates you. It doesn't mean that. It means you're living in Egypt, the wilderness of the peoples, the wilderness of Egypt. And unless Yeshua returns, we will all die of an Egyptian disease, death. But see, the the believer will be resurrected and will no longer be subject to that disease. 
if that makes sense. That's one way of looking at it. The next plague is going to take a, a few minutes, and I guess this would be a good place to stop. And we'll, we'll get back on it and finish up these plagues, the Wars of Kings. We'll finish that when we get back from Israel after Sukkot. And then we're going to slide right back into our footsteps of Messiah. But the point of, of kind of chasing down these methods in the Wars of Kings is because, remember, our working text was the the shields of a thousand generations on the Tower of David. And the shields represent the warriors of each generation. So if we are going to be the warriors of our generation, then we need to go to military school (laughs) and we need to understand what the Torah is teaching us in terms of preparing for that war, knowing the tactics of the war, keeping us balanced as we approach that war. We don't want to run around with our hair on fire, you know, and get all caught up in conspiracy theories and so forth, because it's pretty plain. I mean, of course, there's going to be conspiracies, of course. Just do you want to educate yourself on the conspiracy or do you want to educate yourself on the word? Because you're not going to run out of conspiracies. There's too many of them. But you can invest that time. Like I say, don't let the locust eat up that time. Invest that time in the word and you will know how to deal with any attack of the adversary. And you'll also know when to say, hey, it wasn't really the adversary. That was me. I did that to myself. I shot myself in the foot this time. And so I need some self-discipline. I need some spiritual discipline. I need some economic discipline. You know, it's just like Yeshua, he knew better than to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple and expect an angel to catch him. Very often we throw ourselves off an economic tower and then we get upset because Adonai is not prospering us. Why aren't you making me to prosper? Where's all those blessings? He said, well, why did you jump off the tower? Why did you overspend? Why didn't you budget? What, what, you know, uh, (laughs) it kind of goes back like you have to weigh it out. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so often our behavior is tempting. You know, we're testing him and he might let us just go ahead and hit rock bottom. So we'll, we'll realize that we're not exempt from exercising good common sense in our lives. Can he help us work our way out of those holes once we realize what we've done is that, oh, I've got to reform. I've got to discipline myself. He will. He will help if we'll ask him. But we don't do things presumptuously and expect him to bail us out of the consequences and then say the devil did it. The devil's after me. No, that's not who's chasing you. (laughs) Something else. Common sense is trying to catch you. So slow down. That's That's the old lady lesson of the day. So we'll be going to Israel on Tuesday. And we should be able to resume this live stream on the 14th of October. The 14th of October. And so please keep us in your prayers uh, for good health, safe travel, speedy travel. And wherever you're going, whether it's camping in your backyard or meeting with family and friends, out at campgrounds, or if you're going to Israel, I hope to see you there. I hope to run into you. But wherever you're going, I I do wish you a joyous Sukkot. That's part of the commandment to experience joy. And I want you each one to experience that because life is very short relative to eternity. And imagine how embarrassing it would be to make it into eternity. And Adonai says, well, how much joy did you have in the time I gave you? 
look at how many Sukkots I gave you. Was there really joy? Well, we don't want to stand there and say, well, I just got so preoccupied with this, that, and the other that I just completely forgot that joy part. Do the things that make you happy. As long as you're within the boundary of the word, enjoy good foods, enjoy good drinks, enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, especially if they're of like kind and like mind. Look at the stars, count them if you're able and realize you're one of them. You're the offspring of Abraham. And uh, whatever you like to do, sing, dance, play instruments, play games, put puzzles together. I can't even imagine, as like I said in the newsletter, I can't even imagine what it would have been like in and around Jerusalem at Sukkot during Yeshua's day. But I, I can actually envision him sitting in the family camp and watching all the nieces and nephews running around, mom and dad there, brothers and sisters. I can just see him laughing, big belly laughs, you know, watching the kids doing what they're doing. I guess back then there wasn't any danger they'd wreck their bicycles, but (laughs) there's no telling what kids did back then. But kids haven't changed much. So watch the kids. They'll make you laugh if you give them a chance. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.